most artists I know have a Mount Rushmore list. This list consists of individuals who have influenced the art that they make or a person who has changed their art form forever. Now, the majority of artists never get a chance to meet anyone on their list, but I was lucky enough to not only interview Bob James, I was serenaded by him. James is a child prodigy who turned out to be the most sampled jazz musician in hip hop history. Believe it or not, he wasn't a direct part of the process. For years, rappers like DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, Ghostface Killa and Ninth Wonder have used his music to create hip hop. James isn't bitter. Instead, he's humble and gracious to have his legacy woven into a global art that we have come to know and love called hip hop. So you founded the band Foreplay. You wrote Angela. Um, the sound, the mood, the music for the show Taxi, which is where I first heard your music. Um, the music from your first seven albums have often been sampled and contributed to the formation of hip hop. You've performed all over the world with some of the greatest musicians and artists. How often do you sit back and just take it all in? Well, first of all, thank you very much for that very nice recap of lots of stuff. Um, I, I will humbly uh, um, slightly correct your first statement, uh, which was that I founded the group Foreplay. Uh, I think Harvey and Nathan and Lee would uh, like to take some credit for that too. So I, I, I could honestly say I was one of the founders and maybe I was the senior uh, founding member. And I did have a, a job at Warner Brothers Records at that time that allowed me to present the idea to the record company. So I, I, had, I had a good stake in it, mm -hmm. uh, but, but they would be upset with me if I took all the credit. Oh, I totally, I totally understand. Let's talk a little bit about your journey at the age of four at Marcy Academy. Mercy Academy, your teacher discovered that you had perfect pitch. You play the piano, the trumpet, and percussion instruments. When did you realize that you were something special? Was it just hearing kind of the adults around you, or did you did you kind of have an inkling that you were a little different from the other? four or five year olds around you? Yes, and I, I came from a very small town. The town that I lived in only had 8,000 people in it. It was oh, not wow. very close to a big city, so it wasn't a cosmopolitan, sophisticated town. There were many farmers, many, it was a really, really simple town with not that much culture, mm -hmm. not much jazz or classical music uh, that I had to search a lot. So. Uh, the boys my age were definitely interested in sports. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the interest in music was minimal. And it was primarily my mother that was pushing to get me to take piano lessons and pu pushing that. So it took me a while before I could realize that it was okay for me to have an identity that was a little bit different from sportsman or from athlete type, but to be a piano player was uh, um, a di more difficult image because there weren't that, yes, we had a, a marching band and yes, we had a, um, a 
music activities, but it was uh, not considered in the same way that sports was, for example. So uh, looking back on it, it's interesting to me that I could definitely say that I already had made up my mind that I was going to be a musician before I got out of high school, maybe midway through freshman, sophomore. I was more interested in playing the piano than I was in playing sports. Well, that's an interesting point. You said there wasn't a lot of musicians and 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 that wasn't really a, a high priority where you grew up. Do you think that actually served you in your creative space? It, it, I guess it was mixed because the we all need role models. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there wasn't really much of a role model that I could look to in my town for piano player. Mm -hmm. If I had lived in a big city, there would be many, many role models and uh, it, it would, I think, have been easier to figure out identity. Um, but I don't, I, I don't think it really held me back that much. Maybe in some ways it just made me that much more motivated. And I think I liked the fact that I was somewhat unique. Mm -hmm. that they needed a piano player in my town. There almost wasn't anybody else that they could find. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm I'm thinking about the idea of you having no limits and not knowing that you should be restricted in certain areas because there wasn't a lot of musicians. So you can kind of go anywhere, right? And with that being said, you have become one of the greatest musicians in the world. And, and that's in my opinion, in my humble opinion. I, I love your um, opinion. I wish there were I, more opinions <laughs> like that. <laughs> so let's fast forward just a little bit. Um, you attended the University of Michigan. I am actually from Detroit. So I, I look, you just keep getting better and better every time mm -hmm. I learn something new. It's like more, more reasons to love you. And you also went to Berkeley. And in 1962, you entered um, the Notre Dame Collegiate Jazz Festival, where there was a very special judge that we have come to know and love, who is a world-renowned producer himself. Can you tell us a little bit about how you met Quincy Jones? Sure, I can. And I will point out also that at that same collegiate jazz festival, there were actually two very well-known mm -hmm, mm -hmm. judges, at the, and the other one being Henry Mancini. So yep. uh, anybody, any one of us college kids that were competing at that festival had both reason to be very impressed, but also very nervous because mm -hmm. the famous <laughs> people were listening to us. Right. Uh, the, in my case, I got much closer with Quincy because he definitely took an interest in the direction that I was taking at that time. I was a little bit of a smart alecky kind of um, uh, jazz player that that at that time was I was very interested in avant-garde music and and taking music out to the extremes of uh, radicalism. Uh, and that, that was quite uh, a popular thing in the educational field, too, where many creative people were pushing the limits, what, mm -hmm. what, the limits of art. And so uh, my actual attitude of going to that festival was more confrontational than it was 
I wasn't even thinking about winning. I wanted to make the statement that our music would be drastically different from everybody else on the festival. Mm -hmm. And it did prove to be the case. And we caught Quincy's ear and he was fascinated by that, that aspect so much so that, uh, uh, we, we definitely got a lot of attention as a result of it. And even though, in more recent years, I moved away from that kind of confrontational music for the most part. And I'd, I'd much rather make people fall in love with my music than to make them hate it or get mad at the music. So, so Quincy, it started the dialogue with him mm-hmm. and it actually led to me being able to uh, record my very first album called Bold Conceptions for with him as a producer because he really wanted to showcase that music and bring it to the public. When you began writing early in your career, at some point did composing become more important than um, playing with other artists for you? Yes, um, I studied composition in college. In fact, that was my major at the University of Michigan. I got a master's degree in composition. Um, And at, at that time, there was no jazz department, so I wasn't really taking jazz education at all. In fact, they, uh, most of the professors at that time were discouraging the students from playing jazz, at, at oh, least yeah. at Michigan. And that was actually one of the reasons that motivated me to transfer over to Berkeley mm-hmm. temporarily, because I had been reading about that school in Downbeat Magazine and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very eager to learn more about jazz. So I did transfer for a while, but after I got there, I realized that that at least at that time, Berkeley was not on the same level of an education as Michigan was. And um, it was a very small school, very much limited to uh, learning about jazz, but not so much in all the other areas of education. So I, I ended up transferring back and spent all the rest of my education at uh, Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan with no regrets. But I have watched Berkeley grow and grow mm-hmm. and become a much, much different, better school than it was when I was there. That's absolutely amazing. Let me ask you this. What is, how does your writing process begin? Does it begin with something as small as a name? like element <laughs> does it begin <laughs> yeah. does it begin with some with seeing something a smell a taste what normally gets you in the mood to write something and what is that normal process how does that work how does that play out for bob james oh, great question uh well it, it definitely begins with blanks so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure about that what the elements are but the <laughs> blanks part of it uh, is just the blank sheet of music paper uh, the blank brain when when you can't come up with anything, and I I guess I would have to start by saying that if I knew the answer to that uh, question of what that process is, then I'd have an awful lot more hits because I would know the formula. <laughs> and in my in my experience, there really isn't any formula. Mm-hmm. And the times that my music has become the most successful, very often it comes as a surprise to me because they aren't necessarily the ones that I made the most labor over, the ones that I might have 
uh, anticipated that they might be more successful. It, it seems to always be a surprise, surprise. So I like to think of it most, the, the composition process, actually the whole process of making music, I like to think of it as enjoying the process, enjoying doing it, enjoying all of the mechanics of how, of going over to the piano every day and doing something. And I, I believe that if I go through the activity that, okay, this is today, I'll uh, experiment and play a few licks on the piano, see if anything comes into my head that's, that catches my ear and mm -hmm. makes me want to explore. Uh, that's what I try to do. And try, I try very hard not to judge it. That if, 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 if that critic part of my brain kicks in too early, then almost always I lose any possibility of taking it far enough because my, my critic brain always thinks that it's not good enough. So I, I always work very hard to turn off that critic and just do it, let it come out, whatever it is. And, and then very often I just like to get away from it altogether. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. look back at that sketch for a week or two. And then sometimes I will have a really nice surprise to think, Ooh, that's, that was pretty good. I, I must've had a, a good idea. And then I, then I move forward and try to take it to the next step and refine it and whatever. I, I can report having had a long life in music that this process is still fascinating, still exciting, still frustrating, still, uh, it, it, um, uh, identifies most of my days. I know you talked about musicians, um, being kind of this family, this tight knit unit. So this question is very specific. You made a song, you cut a record and you said, you know what? I want some backing vocals on this record. And you decided, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring in some musicians and you're, your friends around you kind of talked you out of keeping those musicians on that track. And later on in life, one of those musicians came back to you and said, mm, probably should have kept me on there. Can you tell me a little bit about that, that story and how and who that musician was for everyone else who doesn't know? That's pretty good behind the scenes uh, sleuthing that you did elements. <laughs> you, you know, maybe too many of my elements. Uh, <laughs> some of these things are still a little bit secret, but I think I know the one you're talking about. And it is a, a fascinating uh, aspect of how um, either things can change or be, be very unpredictable. Mm -hmm. But back in the year 1976, I believe it was, I composed an instrumental song called Westchester Lady. And mm -hmm. I had a title for it immediately at that time. I don't know why. Well, I was living in Westchester County, New York. So that was part of it. And I was married and my wife's named Judy. And so I was thinking about a song, um, at least to indirectly title uh, dedicated to her. So I make this instrumental track uh, and by the way, Harvey Mason played drums on it, and um, uh, Eric Gale played fantastic guitar part on it. And 
it was for the CTI label. And my producer was Creed Taylor, the founder of that label. And he really loved the track. But after we recorded it, yes, in that era, this, this idea of overdubbing and coming back two weeks later to add things to it had, had begun to be happening. And so I came up with this idea to add a little vocal, um, not, a, not a major song, but more like a background part. And I had this little uh, idea in my head and Cree Taylor gave me permission to try it out. And so I hired some background singers and uh, recorded this track. And the, the lyrics were something like, what you gonna do, Westchester lady, or something like that. <laughs> we did the track and Cree Taylor did not like it. He, he thought my track was much better as an instrumental. And I kind of had to agree that he was right. I was going a little bit outside my comfort zone and I'm, I've always been more of an instrumental thinker with most of my compositions coming from things that I try out on the piano. So we didn't use that vocal. And then lo and behold, time marched on and 10 years go by, maybe even 20 years go by. And I learned that two of my background singers had become quite famous mm -hmm. as soul mm -hmm. One mm -hmm. of them was Patty Austin, who sang the, one of the lead vocal parts on it. And the other one was Luther Vandross. That is and correct. So I, I was pretty lucky at that time that I would be able to hire as background singers people that were that good. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but Luther had become very, very famous, maybe one of the most famous R&B singers of that time. Mm -hmm. And he hired me to play on one of his tracks in the studio that he was working on at that time, and took me aside on the session to say, Bob, whatever happened to that vocal I did with you? I remember I did, I did such a cool track for you. And I told him the story about how Creed Taylor didn't want to use it. And Luther just kept bugging me saying, Bob, if you'd kept my vocal on there, you would have had a much bigger hit. <laughs> now I can't let you leave without talking about hip hop. Oh my goodness. Run DMC, Rakim, DJ Jazzy Jeff, Jeff Ghostface, Jaru the Damager, Slick Rick, Missy Elliott, Beastie Boys, the list goes on and on and on. Common, The Dream, everybody absolutely loves your music. Tell me about when you first realized what was going on. How did you, how did it come to you? How did you realize that something was happening with your music and you weren't involved? Yeah, it was crazy. It's still crazy. I still don't understand it. I don't understand anything about it. There are many aspects of that field that, that are so far removed from what I normally do that the main thing that I still do love about it in the sense that I remember in my college days when I, when I was talking to you earlier about kind of avant-garde or doing mm -hmm. music that's confrontational, that's deliberately in your face in a kind of uh, uh, way that makes you think. Uh, th that's still what I believe is the most fascinating, best aspect of hip hop music to me is that it is, it's raw and it's rough and it, it's not easy, smooth music. It's, it's very unpredictable, very uh, socially conscious, all kinds of good things. 
But when I first found out about it, I wasn't paying any attention to it. Um, probably almost never listened to rap or anything. Actually, I don't think they were using the phrase hip hop. Right. Back mm -hmm. then, it was rap. Mm -hmm. And somebody told me about this group, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. And I didn't know anything about it, never heard about it. And they said, Bob, I think you should listen to this one particular track. And, and when I listened, believe it or not, since we were talking about Westchester Lady, they had sampled my piece, Westchester Lady. And in those days, they were so blatant about it because it was the, the whole legal aspect of it ha hadn't gotten uh, uh, caught up yet. So many of the young rappers just thought that they could do it and that there mm -hmm. wouldn't be any consequences for it. So they played, they just played my track. It wasn't even a simple loop or anything. Right. They played Westchester Lady and then they rapped over it. Mm -hmm. And, and it was on an album called He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper. And it featured uh, uh, Will Smith, mm -hmm. who was, was Jesse Jeff's partner at that time. And of course, we know what, what happened with him. He, he, ultra, ultra famous after that. Right. Uh, and it ended up winning the Grammy as the first rap that is album correct. for the Grammy Award. And there's my song on there. And I had to confront about it because they had not licensed it. So it was my very first uh, encounter with having to figure out what kind of a position to take because I owned the copyright to that recording and to the song Westchester Lady. So uh, I did confront and uh, learned lots of lessons at that time. And it was, it was, it definitely for me was the first that led to a lot of other confrontations some good some not so good but it's only very very recently that I decided to kind of come full circle and actually uh confront one of the rappers with the idea of collaborating rather mm -hmm. than wait for them to just sample my music and that I don't have any part of it creatively so I actually contacted Jazzy Jeff after many years, and we were not enemies uh, or anyway, and we had a, a kind of a reunion, uh, having resolved our uh, conflict with the with the original Westchester Lady sample, uh, and now he and I have collaborated on something new, and looks like it's going to come out on my new album that'll be be released uh, later this year. Uh, Will Smith is not involved. I'm, I'm the substitute for Will Smith, <laughs> Jazzy <laughs> Jeff, and the fresh Bob James. Or, or Did I just get a scoop? Oh my yeah, God. A little bit of a scoop. A little bit I of a got scoop. a scoop. Every interview that I see and that I've read when you discuss hip hop, it always comes across the same way that you would have happily collaborated with all of these artists and provided them the need, the feel, whatever they needed in the moment. But you understood that the formation of hip hop was that most of these rappers didn't have resources, so they used what was available. But you would have wanted to create this new genre of music had you had the opportunity. Am I am I reading that right? Well, I I wanted to be part of the collaborative process. Mm -hmm. that's, that's my nature. And it was frustrating to me sometimes to see how my music was used 
in maybe a way that I might have been able to use it more creatively if I had been a part of the process. But I knew that really wasn't the case here and that the things that were intriguing to them were not necessarily what would have been intriguing to, to me anyway. So it was, it was um, so much two completely different worlds mm -hmm. that probably would not have worked for me to be in this studio the same place at the same time because what I was would have been after would have been so different and my even some of the times that my music was sampled in a very um, uh, controversial kind of rap lyric that, mm -hmm. that possibly even offensive and and uh, uh, the, the music that they chose of mine was not necessarily intended in that kind of way at all. It might have been something much more romantic or more, much more innocent. <laughs> it was just a coincidence that so uh, if if they had if we had been in the same room at the same time and if they had been asking me Bob to come up with some confrontational hate lyrics or uh, uh, pornographic lyrics or whatever, or music to go along with their pornographic lyrics, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have even known what to do, nor would I have been particularly interested in it at that mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. So it's probably uh, a good thing that we were separate. But then so much time went by, and it wasn't just a fluke that they chose, that one rap producer chose one song of mine. The, the, the news kept coming to me mm -hmm. that one after another, so many people chose it that I began to be spoken about as one of the uh, creators of the rap and the hip hop field, when in fact, it, I wasn't deliberately creating it. I was just off to the side and, and I kind of got chosen. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it was definitely unique experience in my career and it's, it remains that way. Uh, I'm not sure how much it, that uh, success that we're going to have with these new uh, opportunities that I now have to, to try to go one on one with a hip hop artist. I have another track that I'm working on with Ghostface Killer. Hey! Little did I, <laughs> my wildest imagination, I wouldn't have thought that that could have been the case, even though I knew that he used my music a lot. And he, and the, my song Nautilus kept showing up on Wu-Tang Clan, various uh, things that they were involved in. Uh, so it, it, it was just happening too many times. Somehow or other, we've got to confront the, are we friends? Are, are we enemies? <laughs> and, and we're still, we're still learning it. Uh, you may or may not know that Ghostface dropped a track just of, online a, a couple of months ago. And the title of it was Bob James, Bob James. Freestyle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I yeah. had to find out about this totally by accident. Of course. Did uh, you, uh, the nerd Pharrell's group has a song called Bob James. So I, it's not just your music. It's it's the whole it's the whole aura of who you are. You are kind of like you know caviar. You're you're this you're this definition of like okay if you get something with Bob James or if you have Bob James on your track or if you sample Bob James, then you're one of us. How does that feel? There's a whole genre of music 
that if you don't understand or know who Bob James is, then I don't I don't know if you can really be accepted. How does that feel for that person to be you? Is that strange? Extremely strange. It, it can't help but feel good. I mean, mm -hmm. how, how could I not have that feel good? And it is a uh, it is uh, vindicating for all the years and the effort that I put in to make music. But it's it's very different from direct vindication for one of my own compositions on its own achieving notoriety. It has a kind of a, a referred notoriety or uh, and I could never anticipate that I wasn't aiming for it. It wasn't part of my goal. It wasn't part of my plan in life so that it comes as a bonus surprise. And the best part of it maybe to me is that it still makes me realize that I should enjoy the process and then let the outcome be whatever it's going to be. Maybe mm -hmm. some pieces will have no success. Nobody will ever hear them, but then maybe other pieces might end up in a TV sitcom comedy that I didn't anticipate that either. It, a lot of the things that of compositions that have taken on a life of their own have been, uh, in some way, like a fluke or an accident or a, a happy coincidence when the stars came into alignment and, mm -hmm. and it worked. So uh, I, I don't want to make too much out of it and take more credit for it than I know how to understand what the credit is. So I'm spending most of my time doing exactly what I've been doing for the last 50 years, which is just try to make more new music and hope for the best. Uh, I don't have any idea what's going to come out of these new attempts at collaborating, whether it be Jazzy Jeff or, or Ghostface. Uh, and I started to do something with Ninth Wonder. He and I kind of flirted back and forth. Still, that hasn't come to fruition yet, but who knows? It might. I think the nerves, watching him interview you, there were so many nerves just radiating through the screen. I mean, when you when you come upon someone who has had such an influence in your life, I think it's there's a fear factor there. You know, you don't want to disappoint. You don't want to, you know, sometimes, they, you know the saying, don't ever meet your heroes. I think you mm. were exactly what he what he wanted mm. you to be. And that's kind of scary. Mm, mm. And it's also very emotional. Mm -hmm. and the almost more than anything else, when I do have a chance to meet any of these people, I want them to get the right impression from me that I I don't carry any baggage about them stealing. I don't carry any baggage of of regret in, in any kind of way. Uh, um, yeah, I want them to know how much I appreciate that they are making it possible for me to continue my legacy far beyond where I ever thought it would be possible. And I'm, I'm getting my music heard by young people uh, that, that if I have my way, that, that they will be encouraged to go beyond whatever hip hop record where I was sampled and then maybe that they'll want to explore listening to the original. 
we used to be a jazz station, and I went to pull out Ooh, all, look at you. Oh, <laughs> all of my Bob James records. Now, my favorite Bob James record, of course, is Angela. Would mm. you mind playing a little bit for me? I see your piano behind you. Well, sure, I could do that. I am so honored and it was a pleasure meeting you. I can't wait to see you when you come to Milwaukee and I can meet you in person. I hope so, Elements. It's great talking with you today. Thank you for all of that research and uh, maybe knowing a few too many things about my past. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>